the analysis you want without the interruptions. Only on twitch.tv slash Q Sports Talk. Subscribe now through your Amazon Prime account for free. Twitch.tv slash Q Sports Talk. In the Booth with Matt Park is brought to you by Hoffman Sausage Company. Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. A talk show host. This is in the booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. In the booth. No Matt today. You can get your fill later on. He's out in South Bend. Hoops tonight, as Seth just said. Cuse Notre Dame. 7 o'clock tip. Catch that over on TK99 ESPN 1200 with pregame coverage starting as early as 5.30. Brian Higgins here. We've got you up until the top of the hour. Much to talk about uh, today. Tommy Hogan, unless I crack him with a chair before the end of the show. It's in play, Tommy. You just never know anymore. we got all of the chairs. We do have the chairs. We it's know my feelings a, on the chairs. Yeah, it's been a big topic on this show, the chairs. So Now in a different role. If I hit you with a chair on the show, it would not be because I'm mad at you. It would be, in this scenario, I'm mad at the chair. Okay. And I just need something to hit the chair with. I'm willing to take that. All right. That's so all right. if you get clocked... Just know it was not you. Thank you. It'll make it'll make the wounds feel better. How you doing today, though, Tommy? Um, your boy Jeets, all but one, all but one. Are you okay? And Brian, that's what stinks is because I am okay. Derek Jeter is a Hall of Fame first Hall of Famer, but yep. that's what's become the discussion is he's not unanimous, and that's what stinks about this whole thing. And we, and we don't get to hear why he's not unanimous, or at least we haven't yet. Yeah, the uh, whoever made that vote has not uh, revealed themselves, and. You know what? Obviously, there's only been one unanimous Hall of Famer in history, so it's not like it's a, it's almost too exclusive of a club to be a club right now. It's just Mariano Rivera uh, last year, who I think without debate was the best at his position of all time at, at closer, and I don't think anyone would necessarily call Jeter the best shortstop of all time. Not that you'd vote for it based Mount on... Mount Rushmore. Of shortstops? He's up there. Tim like, Kirchner has, has him in his route, Mount Rushmore of shortstops. All right. I guess I'll Number agree. four, but he's there. I, I mean, that's still on the mountain. Of course. That's uh, a lot of carving. Yep. I guess I haven't given a thought to him, Mount Rushmore of shortstops, and I will cede to uh, Timmy, who thinks about these things all the time. He does. So, so I will uh, cede yes. the floor uh, to Tim Kirchner uh, wisely, I think, on that one. But it's kind of weird because it was literally the entire history of the Hall of Fame up until last year. Nobody was unanimous, and I mean, think of all of the all-time greats who, in theory, should have been, and now Jeter's not, and that's the story. So that's kind of weird, but uh, congrats to Derek Jeter and to Larry Walker. And Larry, the other way, uh, when we were on the air yesterday and about a little more than half the ballots were available, Larry was cruising in in the 80s, and he made it by six votes in the last ballot. So uh, nervous moments, but... uh, Congrats to another Canadian in the Hall of Fame, Larry Walker. You see the T-shirt he was wearing on MLB Network. Was for? it a SpongeBob thing? What <laughs> yeah. was it? He was wearing a almost like a BMX sort of shirt. Do you know how they all have those crazy like I don't even know whatever they have on it, but it looked like a BMX style SpongeBob SquarePants shirt. I like it. I like it. Larry Walker going in, uh, going in in style. One of the now growing collection of 1994 Montreal Expos to have made the Hall of Fame with uh, Randy Johnson and Pedro Martinez and the team. That got denied a chance at a World Series by 
uh, the strike that year. So uh, Larry Walker is in. Kurt Schilling did not make it. He ended up at 70%. You need 75 though he'll be probably the lead candidate to get over the line uh, next year. None of the guys on the ballot next year appear to be first ballot or any ballot type guys necessarily. So uh, I'd imagine next year, Tommy, will the debate will be focused on uh, probably Schilling, and then because of that, it'll be focused on the controversial guys when you toss in Bonds and Clements. I really wonder if these next few years, which are have weak newcomers on the ballot mm-hmm. could spike Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. Like everybody thinks it's going to be the 10th year that they'll probably end up sneaking over that 75 line or that's at least been the consensus. But I wonder if next year actually could be a time where we could see it at least come close. Like they didn't move up as much as people thought they would this year. They only got to like 60 and 61%. Mm-hmm. But I think next year they're going to come very close, if not get it, because of the weak ballot. Well, reading Jason Stark's article on The Athletic either last night or this morning, whenever I took a look at it, he was more concerned about their, and he's a guy that's reasonably consistently voted for those two, concerned about their candidacy because the growth was so small this year. I think they only went up a percent or two, and I guess nearly all of that they're assuming is from new voters and there's just not going to be that amount of new voters between now and when they're off the ballot. So he was wondering if all of the people that are going to change their mind have changed their mind. But it'll be interesting in a couple of years, assuming they don't get in next year, if that's the case, that A-Rod's first year on the ballot is going to be the last year for Bonds and Clemens. And it would be intriguingly interesting to see somebody make a different decision on any of those three. That would be a heck of a ceremony, too, if you get the three of them in the same <laughs> All three? ceremony. Yeah. I mean, I say if you're going to do it, it might as well just be a steroid weekend, and <laughs> here we go. I like that. Here we go. Does and it he- make any sense that Clemens and Barry Bonds don't have the same percentage? Um, And it's only like probably one or two votes, maybe. It's like one, yeah, 1%. Yeah, not, not really. You'd think, I mean, they're both clearly by their on-field performance Hall of Famers. How many MVPs? Did Bonds have seven MVPs and Clemens had seven Cy Youngs? It's something... If it's not exactly that, it's something like that. Bonds, setting aside the steroids, is viewed as one of, if not the best baseball player of all time, and Clemens is one of the best pitchers of all time. And I think both are viewed as that prior to when the steroids would have come into play and when people figure the steroids came into play for both of those guys when their careers had a kind of a resurgence for Clemens or a change in what the success was for Bonds and the uh, the late 90s, early 2000s, when they saw what other guys uh, were doing, or at least that's always the story with Bonds. He's like, well, if Sosa and Maguire are hitting home runs, watch him <laughs> see a guy that can hit home runs. So, yeah, it's kind of weird. I, I don't know. And both were kind of viewed as jerks to the writers in one way or another, depending on who you covered. So, yeah, I think it's kind of a little weird that the votes are not identical. They, yeah, they're in the same class. They yeah, should be I, I hand just, in hand, really. You'd think if you're keeping them out, I just don't understand how you're making a decision based on different things. Neither of them tested positive. Both of them are assumed that they would have tested positive had the testing been different or at different times or whatever. And uh, neither are in the Hall of Fame. And we'll see how it goes. They both have two more years on the uh, modern ballot, and then it goes on and on. But uh, a story that's not uh, to die anytime soon. The other story is uh, when will the next, if there is to be one, unanimous Hall of Famer be? And uh, that was part of Jason Stark's article yesterday, and he was having a hard time uh, finding... Anybody, like if not Jeter, 
And the guys in the near ballot people assumed to be Hall of Famers are David Ortiz type. I can't see him being no chance uh, unanimous for a variety of reasons. He's uh, steroid tangential in some ways. And, and you even take that away, the uh, DH argument. The DH argument, then whatever the heck was going on in the Dominican sure. uh, the last year. And everyone likes Big Poppy as a guy, but uh, he will not be unanimous. Albert Pujols, maybe. But if Jeter's not, then why is he? Ichiro, I think, is the, the Ichi, guy. Ichiro out. was the one that Stark settled on. Is if there's going to be one in the near future, it would be him. Uh, Three thousand hits in the U.S., more than four thousand overall. But somebody will probably not vote him in single sitter, even right. though he's one of the best. All those infield, yeah. singles. Yeah, well, come on! How dare he be so yeah. fast? <laughs> one of the best fielding outfielders that there's been in the last uh, twenty years, and then. His next thought after that, okay, if not any of them, uh, yeah, Mike Trout. So we'll, we'll see if it's going to be uh, anybody in the near future. Uh, the big news for us, it's been amazing how many out-of-season news nuggets have been happening. It's been all last week talking uh, baseball. Today, even with a basketball game tonight, we'll be talking football with our friend Adam Terry in a moment. The Syracuse football and ACC football schedules officially released this morning on uh, the Packer and Durham program on ACC Network, and we had Kind of figured it would be an ACC opener for Syracuse this upcoming year due to the way the schedule landed. There was no game on the non-conference games on the opening weekend. You're probably not going to have a bye opening weekend. I think we all kind of got in our heads it would be the road trip to Clemson because Clemson played on the road to open ACC Network play this year. It would make sense that turnabout is fair play. They get to host a game uh, this year. And instead, it is uh, Syracuse, and Clemson is indeed playing on that weekend against Georgia Tech, but Syracuse is going on the road to Boston College in Week 1, a game that more often than not recently has been the Thanksgiving week game, is now the opening game. So that is uh, something interesting and very different to open a season. I'll be intrigued to see what Adam thinks about this. I know we had agreed during the season that BC should probably be the permanent Thanksgiving game. Pittsburgh is the Thanksgiving weekend game this year, road game at Hines Field. So this is uh, exceedingly different, and we'll see how that goes. And it's a very uh, 1980s, early 90s start to the season with road game at BC Week 1, road game at Rutgers Week 2, and the presumed unveiling of all is new in the Dome Week 3 with a home opener against Colgate. So these are all uh, games you would have seen on the schedule, uh, certainly back in the uh, Coach Mack area, obviously Boston College and Rutgers were Big East uh, staples as well, and BC in the ACC. But three of the first four are on the road. Another trip to Kalamazoo to see Tim Lester's Western Michigan squad rounds out September. The open date is week six, so five games, then a week off, then seven straight to close. So it's about as balanced as you'd like. The Liberty game, which was the opener last year, Hugh Freeze will take his squad to the Dome in the middle of October and then the Orange go to Clemson, not in week one, but it will be the seventh game of the season. Syracuse on the road at Clemson on October 24th. Other schedule notes uh, toward the end of the year. The Orange hosting a rare in-season Thursday night game. Florida State in the penultimate game of the year is in the Dome on November 19th. And Syracuse wrapped this things up on the road at Pittsburgh on November 28th next year. So that is the entirety of the schedule. We'll be talking about that with Adam Terry here momentarily get his thoughts on the uh, Duke coordinator hires as well. And obviously the basketball game tonight, the men are on the road at Notre Dame. We'll break that down as we head on throughout the show this evening. A chance to remind you that Steely Dan is coming to the St. Joseph's Help Amphitheater at Lakeview 
on July 3rd. Listen to the Axeman all week for your chance to wear a pair of tickets to Steely Dan. Take a break now. Adam Terry on the football schedule and the new coaching hires. When we come back, we're in the booth on ESPN 97.7 100.1. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. In the booth with Matt Park is brought to you by Hoffman Sausage Company. We are in the booth, Matt, in South Bend for Hoops tonight. He and Jim Sadlin, pregame starting at 5.30 over on TK99. Tip just past 7 o'clock over on TK. It was quite a game between the Orange and the Irish a couple weeks back. One-point game. We'll see how it goes tonight at the Joy Center. Brian Higgins here in the studio. Tommy Hogan alongside. We go to the Burdick Toyota guest line to bring on Adam Terry, our color analyst on the Syracuse Sports Network from Learfield IMG College during the season, and Adam, uh, what a day here it is to talk football with uh, the new coaches to hit on and uh, the schedule uh, coming out today. So it's kind of become a, a big release day all across the league here. It is. I, I think it's a little bit bigger than the uh, uniform reveal last year. There was a lot of pomp and circumstance for that, but, you know, this is football. We're getting into the nitty-gritty of the schedule and get the, a little bit of projection of what Syracuse can come out to next season. I, I say Tommy has dove deep here early on and noticed that we do have a Halloween home game against Georgia Tech, and uh, I guess we're wondering if, if you've got early Halloween costumes in the works here for the Georgia Tech game. Well, I think Matt and I might show up as announcers. You Ooh. know, I think we might pick our favorite. You know, maybe we can get you on the sideline as your favorite sideline reporter. I think that we might be able to roll like that for Halloween. Okay, I like it. I, we were wondering if you might do the Scottish kilt thing since you're in with the lacrosse team, but I, I just don't know if you want to be wearing a kilt up in the booth in late October. It could be a little chilly. Well, I think up in the booth is going to be fine. It's the pregame out on the quad that mm. might get a little chilly. Yeah, we do get a little breeze coming under that table. I don't think any of us want to deal with that. So we'll leave that for the side. But uh, the Georgia Tech game is probably one of the least interesting games, at least to to talk about right now, besides it being on Halloween. What, what jumps off uh, the page here, Adam, is we kind of ended the season knowing that it would likely be an ACC game in Week 1, and I think we had all just kind of begun assuming it would be the road trip to Clemson. So uh, what is your thought? What do you see instead of opening uh, down at Clemson, it'll be the traditional season ender. It'll be opening at Boston College. Yeah, it's definitely a different feel. You know, new coaching staff up in in Boston College, Steve Adazio being ushered out at the end of the season. And also, you know, one of the the guys who has really beaten Syracuse up over the years, A.J. Dillon, declares for the draft. So, you know, Granted, it's a, it's a new coaching staff at BC. There's going to be some hype behind it. But one of the, the main characters that's removed out of there is going to be A.J. Dillon. And, and he, was, uh, he beat up on Syracuse over the years. So it'll be, it'll be good to go up there, uh, have an ACC game. It's not going to be a cupcake game. BC-Syracuse over the, over the years has always been historically um, – one that you have to get up for. As a former player, that's one that you really got up for, um, and, and you're starting to see a little bit of the, the old-timers come around and be able to rally around uh, an ACC game, but also an old-school Big East game to start the season. Well, it's one of these things, I know we talked about it during the year, Adam, how well, it might be nice if that always got locked in as the Thanksgiving week game, and this year that is Pittsburgh. So that's not the case. But sometimes it gets lost in the shuffle that weekend, certainly nationally. But you, you get Friday night, 
opening week of the season, I, I think a lot of people will be locked in on QSBC in week one. Uh, and, and there's both teams have questions to answer. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Syracuse looking at this is going to be, you know, two brand new coordinators. What does that look like? Has the offensive line been uh, stabilized? I, I think so. I think you're going to see a different Tommy DeVito out there next year as well. Um, you know, granted, there's there's been an injection of youth from the coordinator position, but also one of these guys have been in, in different programs. They, uh, they've had to run their offense and had to have run their defense at different schools. And, you know, with, with the offensive coordinator coming in, he, he was a head coach at McNeese State. So you're looking at – I'm looking at a, a lot of new blood. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be – they're going to try to get their systems in really quick uh, and get everybody on the same page. So – Looking at looking at what Syracuse has to answer that first game, um, I think it's going to be balls going to be being thrown around the field and and a lot of pressure coming from this new three three five defense. We'll get into new coordinators in a sec. Zach Arnett coming from San Diego State on defense. Sterling Gilbert, who's worked with Dino uh, before the new OC and quarterbacks coach Adam Terry, our guest on the Burdick Tour to guest line. Adam, this is the second straight year. Not only is it two road games to open, and that's just the case with the the renovation going on to the dome, but at Rut or at Boston College, then at Rutgers, this is two schools with new head coaches. Uh, you mentioned Jeff Halfley at BC coming from Ohio State, a co-defensive coordinator last year, and what is old is new again at Rutgers, and Greg Schiano back there. What does that do for, I guess, a Syracuse coaching staff preparing for the year for now for a second straight year where they got to get ready for teams that will be doing something different from last season. Yeah, it's going to be tough, but you have film. You have a good understanding of what it is. Um, you know, BC first game, uh, that'll be something. The one that kind of creep. you know, as you're looking at it, Greg Schiano going back to Rutgers, mm-hmm. you know, when he left that place, that place was humming. You know, there were there were some, some glory days of, uh, you know, Toll, a quarterback, Ray Rice at running back, a great defense that produced a lot of NFL players, and now he's back there, and it seems like he has carte blanche of whatever he wants, uh, according to some of the reports on his contract. Um, if he gets going, it's going to be hard to recruit up in the Northeast again because he, if he goes into Jersey and locks down some of those kids, and he he's not afraid to come up into New York either and, and steal some steal some good products out of the state of New York. So uh, that's the one that really jumps out at me. They were they were abysmal last year, two and ten, and um, I don't think that's going to be the way. Uh, that the future will hold for Rutgers. I don't know if they can turn it around real fast, but uh, that that is going to be a good good football game. Andrew going down there, um, a lot of memories going down and playing in Rutgers. You know, windy windy games where you kick the ball up in the air and it comes back at you. Um, that was one of my last games. Uh, it was my last game that I played at Rutgers. So. That'll be fun to watch. BC, Rutgers, you're starting to see this big old school, big East influence. So that's fun. I'll be down there in uh, March for lacrosse. So I'll get a, I'll get a scout on the stadium, Adam. See if it's still still the same as it was back in the day. Their lacrosse team plays in the football stadium now. So we'll, we'll check that out. And 
You mentioned Rutgers back in the day. Heck, the McCourty brothers, they're still in the league from when uh, Shiano oh, yeah. was coaching back then. So that, that influence is still being felt in the NFL. Uh, the Clemson game lands kind of right smack dab in the middle of the schedule on October uh, 24th. We know Trevor Lawrence back at quarterback. Kind of surprised to find out uh, earlier this week or last week that Travis Etienne is not declaring for the NFL draft. Adam, did, we, we know how good Clemson is. That's a hard game wherever it is. Did it really matter, yeah. I guess, where that lands on the schedule? Would there have been a, a better or worse spot for it to be for Syracuse? Or is that just kind of it's going to be the toughest game out there regardless of when you run into it? It's one. You know, Trevor Lawrence, he's going to have his, this is his year where he can become draft eligible. It's his third year at the school. He'll be he'll be rolling, but he'll be down a wide receiver in T. Higgins. T. Higgins declared early. He's going into the draft. So, you know, I, I think it's, you know, Davo Sweeney can go out and recruit. He has the facilities. He's Clemson is who everybody is chasing right now in the ACC, what they're doing nationally. doesn't matter where it lands on the schedule. The Syracuse has to get up for that game and you know go out there and put their best game out there. Adam Terry with us on the Burdick Toyota guest line. Adam, let's get your thoughts because we have not yet on the new assistant coaches hired by Dino Babers and still not certain if Actually, we are certain that he can't quite be done, at least in how he's organizing his staff uh, for next year, is there are some overlap of what people's jobs were last year and this year. We'll start on offense with uh, Sterling Gilbert, announced officially earlier this week as the new offensive coordinator and uh, quarterbacks coach, a guy that was a head coach last year at McNeese State, has been around the block, was with uh, Dino at Eastern Illinois and Bowling Green in that same position. Uh, what do you make of, of this hire as a, a new voice in the room, but also a guy that Dino is very comfortable with? It's, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, you know, I, I think what you see now is they're saying, hey, you know what, we're going to move forward and we're going to put basically a new guy, somebody from outside of the program in a position. And with Gilbert, he's been at various uh, Division One programs, you know, Texas, you know, being able to sling it around down there. Then he was also a head coach at McNeese State. They go 7-5. and five. Interesting to see um, Dino will have a lot of familiarity with the offense. That also means that uh, Tommy DeVito will have a lot of familiarity with the offense, but then also have some of those wrinkles uh, go in that are, you know, may have become stagnant from not having an outside voice within the program. Um, and, and that's a lot of guys in the NFL do it. They hire these um, consultants that have been coaching at other places, have similar ideas, but then all when they sit down and they really put those game plans together, um, having a couple different voices from outside programs. So I like the hire. Um, just allowing uh, another Head coach from a Division One program, and also having the the fact that he's been different places that that's pretty cool for me. And he's a quarterback coach. Mm-hmm. That's what we needed. You know, when you're when you're looking at the situation, he's coming in uh, has enough clout within the Division One to become a head coach, but now gets to focus on one one room. Uh, and really develop those guys over a period of time. And on top of that, he was a quarterback himself going back to uh, his high school and college days. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, that benefits uh, Tommy DeVito getting ready for his second year as the starting quarterback. And 
Adam, on defense, and I don't think we're surprised on offense that, yeah, Dino's going to run his system. He brings in another guy that knows that and can add something to that. And on defense, he's not afraid to do something completely different, and that is Zach Arnett. He was last year the defensive coordinator under Rocky Long at San Diego State. He runs the 3-3-5 stack. I think Cuse fans, maybe the first time they became familiar with that defense is when West Virginia was running it in the Big East for all those years. But uh, what what, what do you think we can expect from this defense, and and how different is that going to be for the guys to learn and get ready and play this year? Uh, it's definitely going to be different for a lot of the guys playing, especially up front. You know, it's been a one gap system for a long time. You know, the three three five can, when it evolves into it, um, really be that two gap system. Bear Williams, I think, will project. You know, a very athletic nose. You know, somebody that can really stop. And what what this defense does is it. it plays to the fact you might have some smaller guys in position with some speed. Um, your linebackers are going to come from all angles, and they're going to be coming from depth. And when we saw Syracuse really effective last year in the blitzing game, it was coming from the linebacker position with cross dogs. You know, they were running that double A gap cross blitz that gave a lot of people havoc. Now you're you're taking up the center, you're freeing up guards who normally aren't used to blocking linebackers in space coming at them. So that's going to be a key for Syracuse is, you know, I think they have a nose. They've got some defensive ends that can play that position. But what we've seen over a period of time is they've got a, they're they're stockpiling linebackers. So, um, you know, one of the things in the Brian Ward system is we were always questioning who are these linebackers going to be. Now we still have to see that, but in a new system, probably fits a little bit better to their personnel. And then, you know, Cisco, Trill Williams, and those guys in the back end, um, you're going to have to see who comes into play there. But I, I like the change because at points in time, Syracuse wasn't able to hold a point of attack in that in that 4-2-5 look. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it uh, all shakes down this year. Adam, uh, fun to catch up, fun to talk a little football here on the college side as we are uh, right in the midst of the offseason, and we'll uh, catch up again soon, okay? Anytime, man. All right, Adam Terry, our analyst on the Syracuse Sports Network for the football season, Learfield IMG College, and we know now when the opener will be. It will be on the road at Boston College, Labor Day, Friday night, September the 4th. Looking forward to that. Take a break now. When we come back, do we care? Glad to have you along in the booth today, ESPN 97.7, and on twitch.tv slash QSportsTalk. On Twitch, QSportsTalk, and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Houston Texans defensive end J.J. Watt will be hosting SNL the day before the Super Bowl on February 1st. Okay. Call me off guard a little bit. I wasn't. He doesn't seem like an SL, SNL guy to me. I, I do not have a good sense of J.J.'s comedy chops. Now, I'd say normally when SNL, and I'm not a, a regular SNL viewer anymore, like maybe I was back in the day, but I think they do a pretty good job of uh, supporting... Uh, non-actor types when they come there and putting them in position to succeed. I was watching uh, last night one of the Peyton's Places with Peyton Manning on 
ESPN Plus, and he was doing a bit on, I guess Elvis was a huge football fan. So he was at Graceland and the whole deal, and I guess he went into the Elvis archives and found all these like sheets. I guess Elvis's thing before he went to sleep is he'd like scribble down football plays for his two-hand touch football league that he was like both in and like took really seriously. Like this is what he was doing when he wasn't doing concerts. So he got he went to the local high school and got the football team out of class. And like ran the plays with his team, and then Peyton dressed up as Elvis in the the bell bottoms and the sideburns and the whole thing was throwing it. And Peyton's probably the best athlete, at least comedy wise, to ever host SNL. Yes. So that's that's where I'm going with that. Is that for JJ? That's a that's a high bar to jump. Like the Peyton Manning skit where he was pegging the United Way kids for the football. I don't know if JJ's got that in him, but I, I think they usually do a good job helping out the athletes. JJ won't be throwing it at him. He'll just be tackling the, the young kids. Now. Honestly, yeah. If I'm them, I re-rack the same. <laughs> you do the same skit and have him just sacking a bunch of six-year-olds. Lorne Michaels, I think we just gave you an idea. There we are. I mean, that's got to be on there, right? I mean, I, I'd hope they thought of it already, but uh, if not, shoot your credit up here to Syracuse. Also, someone's got to run one of Elvis's plays in the Pro Bowl. You can't just let those plays go to waste now. No, maybe they're not set up for 11 people, but Pro Bowl is the perfect It was spot. funny watching Peyton look at him. He's like, you know what? These are pretty good plays. And Elvis, he was, they were from, like the, obviously, the 60s and the 70s yeah. when he was drawing it up. He's like, he's got the quarterback and the shotgun. Elvis was ahead of his time. Peyton liked it. Holy cow. Peyton was, yeah. he was back there taking shotgun snaps, wearing bell bottoms, and letting her rip. Maybe would have been better than uh, some of the people on the Giants staff. Unbelievable segue by me. Mm. Freddie Kitchens has joined the Giants staff. They're unsure what role. Mm. The Giants. Not head coach, right? Not head coach. Confirmed not head coach. Confirmed not offensive coordinator. Anywhere in between, who knows? Uh, But the Giants, they now have Jason Garrett, Mm -hmm. Freddie Kitchens, and Brett Bielema, the former uh, coach at Arkansas, I believe, Mm -hmm. who actually coached with Joe Judge with the Patriots, with a rookie head coach. What do you think of this this staff the Giants are coming up with here? Well. I, I like the general idea of you support the new head coach with people that have been head coaches. Sounds good on paper. Uh, two of the three of them technically have been successful at being head coaches. Like Bielema, when he was at Wisconsin, I mean, he was just reeling off wins. Yes. And he, uh, he's who knows how many of his former linemen are still in the NFL. I mean, and they were just churning yeah. out offensive linemen. I assume Bielema, I don't know if he's going to be the O-line coach or whatever, but I assume he'll be in a position that... Involves overseeing that in some way, and that makes sense. And he was with Belichick, uh, I think it was the last two years or year and yeah, a half two or, years. or whatever it was. <sighs> Jason Garrett, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. He hasn't called plays since I think it was 2011, maybe 2012. He didn't exactly show a modern flair for offense of late. For anything. So that is, like, is Jason Garrett going to reinvent himself to help make Daniel Jones? What's interesting with Kitchens... Is, yeah, this year was a grease fire disaster, and he shouldn't have been a head coach, and the whole thing was a mess. But the reason he got the job from a year ago was when the whole thing became a mess and Hugh Jackson uh, got fired and Kitchens took over as the OC midway through the season, he had great success with Baker Mayfield in the second half of that year. Yeah, And everyone that's why everyone was high on the Browns this year. And obviously it blew up and he... Couldn't be a head coach and all that stuff, but was what we saw in the second half of last year, Does that is that anything meaningful for quarterback development? Is he a guy that can help uh, Daniel Jones? And now that he doesn't have to be the guy, is he back in, is he back at his right level? 
So I'm half intrigued by it for that reason. I just hope he's not broken from his experience in Cleveland this year. Who would you have preferred to be the offense coordinator, Jason Garrett or Freddie Kitchens? There's an argument there, right? Uh, like I can see the val- like I can see the vague value of having Garrett as yeah, he's got a winning record as an NFL head coach, and the other guy's young and has never done it. But look at the teams that are in the Super Bowl this year. Andy Reid is known for 20 years as one of the best offense. I mean, longer than that, but as a head coach for 20 years. And then the 10 years before that, uh, coming up with the Packers and that great brain trust under Mike Holmgren is him and John Gruden and just a bajillion guys working together with Brett Favre all came up as young assistant coaches. But the thing that everyone lauds Reid for is his willingness to innovate. Like, he was a West Coast offense guy, West Coast offense guy. And look at the offense now. He's worked in so much stuff and spread stuff and all this different stuff. And he's innovating on offense here, and he's up on the trends and working in college things. And look at Kyle Shanahan. I mean, they ran the ball a billion times last week, but then when they played the Saints a month ago, they threw it a million times. And how many different formations and different things can they do and different running backs and different receivers and different ways can they be successful uh, Jason Garrett was not that for the last decade, and that's what most concerns me, is that the guys that are in the Super Bowl this year are innovating and game-planning and working to really specific tendencies and look at why the Patriots have been successful on offenses. They're playing different offensive ball every week based on their opponent. Mm-hmm. Garrett's not that. Hopefully Kitchens can be that, or they're not going to succeed. I mean, it's as simple as that. We'll move on to some baseball stuff. The Los Angeles City Council unanimously approved a resolution urging the MLB to strip the 2017 and 2018 World Series from the Astros and Red Sox Mm -hmm. and give them to the Dodgers. Well, good luck on that. Not going to happen. I'll say this. There is a minute chance the World Series gets stripped. I severely doubt that's going to happen. There is a zero chance the Dodgers (laughs) get to keep it. Yeah, that's never even in college basketball where that has been prevalent of stripping the championships. They they never award them to the runner-up. I, I always think of the uh, the Tour de France and all the ones that Lance Armstrong won. Well, now there's seven Tour de France's that nobody won. And they just didn't give it out because the odds were, once they gave it to the second guy, they were going to find out that person was on crazy drugs because sure. biking up the side of the Alps is hard. So Breaking hey, news. Breaking news, yeah. <laughs> so, all right, give them to the Dodgers if you want. But let's just not assume that everything the Dodgers have done is on the up and up, or anybody. This is not to single out the Dodgers. You start taking things away and giving them to somebody else on the assumption that whoever came in second was the good guys. Let's let's just not go on on, on that limb. If you want to punish the Astros and the Red Sox and, and do it as harshly as you can, that's Major League Baseball and the owner's prerogative. But who's to say the Dodgers would have won in the other scenario and it wouldn't have been... The ALCS team, who's to say the Dodgers weren't cheating themselves, even though there's, I realize, no allegations against them. That is, that's a slippery slope that doesn't end well. For sure. And one, one more quick one that I just thought was weird and caught me off guard a little bit. The mm-hmm. CEO of Goldman Sachs, David Solomon, will be DJing the Sports Illustrated Super Bowl party. Clearly. He actually has experience in doing this. He, he goes by DJ D. Soul. Mm-hmm. He's 58 years old, goes by DJ D. Soul. Um, but will be joined by Black Eyed Peas, Marshmallow DaBaby, some, some, legitimate music people. But I, I got into some research here. He put out a single actually pretty pretty recently. Not bad. Okay. I don't know what this says about a lot of things. What it says about Goldman Sachs for one. 
we know what's going on with Sports Illustrated, that, that they're a mess, so yep. that they're hiring the Goldman Sachs CEO to DJ. But here's my question. The Super Bowl is in Miami. You need a DJ. Where's our guy, Ronnie Cycli? Okay. He's like, like the that. hot DJ in Miami. Yeah. He's got to be he's got. Somewhere. I mean, he's got to be doing something so, yeah. I, all week long. I'm sure Ronnie's not lacking for gigs uh, this week in Miami and uh, next week for sure. But come on, SI. This Maybe this tells you this SI party is not the good one. You want to go to the party where Ronnie Cycling's at. That's what I'm telling you. DJ D-Soul got this one, though. Yeah, D-Soul. I'll go where DJ Ronnie's at and we'll have ourselves a good time. All right. Let's uh, do we care. One final break. And before we take that break, we're talking about DJing during the week of the big game. Be caller number five. Right now, 315-437-7644, 315-437-7644 for your chance to win a day after the big game office party from Dunkin' Donuts. No DJs will come, but if you're caller number five, you could be the hero of your office. They'll be registered to win coffee, bagels, and donuts, and delivered by some of your favorite ESPN Syracuse hosts. Your office will run on Dunkin', brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Caller five right now. 315-437-7644. Back to wrap the show after this at ESPN Syracuse. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. In the Booth with Matt Park is brought to you by Hoffman Sausage Company. Matt out in South Bend. Hoops tonight. Brian Higgins in. Glad to have Adam Terry aboard earlier. Get a little football schedule release Discussion, September the 4th, Syracuse and BC. Much more urgent matters are basketball tonight. The men are out in South Bend for a 7 o'clock tip with Notre Dame. What a game it was a couple of weeks ago in the Dome. Notre Dame 88, Syracuse 87. Both teams were 15 for 31 from 3. The difference ends up being uh, John Mooney's work on the offensive glass. Uh, Notre Dame center goes 28 points and 14 rebounds, uh, as Matt and I talked about yesterday. That feels to be uh, the key uh, tonight. Can You're not going to shut him down, but can you limit that in some way? Can the combination of uh, Barama and Marek and uh, Quincy uh, Guerrier off the bench do a little more work on the glass? Quincy had those eight first-half rebounds. He had the win at Virginia Tech over the weekend, so we'll see if the Orange can complete that little uh, revenge tour. Losing in the Dome to Virginia, Notre Dame, and Virginia Tech have already beaten Virginia and Virginia Tech for the Commonwealth Road Sweep, and we'll try to go out to South Bend and win it tonight. Pre-game coverage starting as early as 5.30 over on TK99 and ESPN 1200 with Matt Park and Jim Sandel. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Mike Waters will be our guest, assuming he survives his trip back with Pauly. Godspeed, Mike. We wish you the best, and we will talk to you tomorrow right here on this program. I'll be back here. Tommy as well. Matt back in the saddle. Enjoy Syracuse Hoops tonight out in South Bend. Taken on Notre Dame. This has been In the Booth on ESPN Syracuse.